And welcome to Book Squad Goals. Thanks. This week, we are discussing the book The Remaking by Clay McLeod Chapman. Ooh. Woo! And so, Spooky. for our intro question, I thought I'd ask you guys, what's your favorite remake? I'm ready. Go, Mary, go. Mary. I don't know. I, I always have a hard time saying favorite, but my favorite of the moment is Black Christmas. Ooh, yes. Okay. Mary and I saw this together. We loved it. Yes, we saw it. Nice. Over the holiday season, and it was great. I've heard sort of like some mixed reactions from people who really love the original one. The original one is just sort of like a straight up slasher film, takes place in a sorority, but the new one sort of like infuses some of the Me Too movement's messages and talks a lot about sexual assault and like revenge. And it also just gets real weird. And it's got a great you guys little wrote a blog post. We did. We did write a song post. in there. It's got a cool yeah. song. So I'm gonna say that's my favorite remake of the moment. And hey, we'll link to the blog post just in case you yeah. Yes, we will. Emily, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Um it's also I don't it's also a horror movie. It's also Black but, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no. Um so I'm not just saying like I like horror movies a lot, so I was really excited about reading this book because, like, horror movies are kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even – so I've done – I'm on my third film series right now for the blog, and even when Sword I was doing Christmas bed. movies, when I was doing my Christmas movie series, I think, like, four of them were still horror Christmas movies, so, like, I found a way to work them in. You gotta shake it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm surprised I gotta, there were four horror Christmas movies. Look – there, there are some I didn't even get to. So Christmas is a horrifying time. It is. Oh, my God. I see your Woosh in the background. Yes, my Woosh finally came. Wow. Yesterday. Can you, came yesterday. can you show him to us? Yes. You want me to do this before I talk about my movie? Should I talk about the Woosh? Yeah. Let's si- sidebar. Sidebar. Um, Kelly, you should find the description. <laughs> it's so, so you, big. You, you should find the description so we can read about the Woosh for the, oh God, for the it's podcast so listeners. It's it so looks good, like, though. Uh, like a internal organ. It's based on a sculpture uh, in, where was it from? Like Russia or something? Yeah. Ben got me this Woosh. I told him I wanted it and I was like, Ben, buy it for me. And he was like, I'm very creeped out. But, yeah. okay. Was so he, he like, it I'm for scared, me. and I'm scared if I don't get it for you, what will happen? Yeah, so he bought it for me, like, several months ago. Um, And it was it back-ordered? No, it just came from China, so it took a little while. Oh. Look at his little, little back rolls. Oh my god, he has back wrinkles. Okay, so the thing about Fluffy Woj is that he is, um, he is based on a meme that came out of a weird sculpture. Uh, I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> but the about Emily and I got served an ad for this. I don't remember which I've one this was. I've gotten ads for it too. Yeah. yeah well, because we've we've told you about mm-hmm. it. Well, I think they know. I think they um, cater to people who have anxiety. Yeah, that's oh, so okay. right. They probably are like these people seem anxious and talk about anxiety a lot. Here you go. Yeah. So. It says, Fluffy Woosh is here in the form of an adorable plush. Standing at eight inches tall, he will watch over you in glorious peace. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> skip a bit, a bit. So Emily and I found this on Instagram and went to the website, and the description of this stuffed animal is bizarre, absolutely insane. Um, so it, it first talks a little bit about it's like, oh, we all have anxiety and fears. Um, he reminds us that whatever happens in life will always pass. Take a deep breath and enjoy the warm embrace of Wosh. Imagine you come home after a long day, and as the thoughts of tomorrow make you anxious, the thoughts of the past fill you with regret, an escape you crave is nowhere in sight, but as you open your bedroom doors and you see him so gracefully sitting there, (laughs) patiently waiting for your return, as if you've never left, pick him up towards your cheek, this familiar warm fuzzy feeling as if he understood all your problems without speaking a single word. You look him in his eyes as you gaze into his soft soul. His eyes reflect the colorful flecks of your own eyes. He understands. You just know he does. This is where it gets real wild. (laughs) He's been patiently waiting since the dawn of time and the beginning of creation. No one knows why, but he sits in wait every day. Some say his presence painted the sky in mercy, and so the pink scattered clouds tell a tale of his despair. He created the stars for the weak and for the lonely as guideposts of the skylines. We set our paths in the darkest of nights as he sits and wait and hope that one day all the stars he's kindled in the sky for us will be outshined by you. You were his favorite star. And so forever since, he's been patiently waiting for your return. Every decision you've made in your life has led you to this very moment. This is your story. This is who you are. This is... Your Woosh. That sounds... Handstone quality imported directly from France, guaranteed to last a lifetime. That sounds truly menacing. (laughs) It is... You know, it's like, he's been waiting on you. He's in my house Oh, here it says at the bottom, Woosh is created in the likeness of Homonuculus Loxodontus, an art statue designed by Marguerite Van Brevoort. We will link in the show notes to all of this. Anyway, yeah, sorry, that was a really long tangent. No, Um, I mean, but... I'm, I've, I've been meaning to tell you that I got my Woj, and it's worth bringing up on the podcast because I feel like the Woj is now part of Book Squad Goals lore. Oh, no. Um, so we'll have <laughs> to check we'll on him every now and then. We'll have to take a picture of the Woj with the remaking. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I will do that. He's been waiting. Um, so anyway, yeah. my, my favorite remake. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, – I'm going to go with Evil Dead 2. Mm, that's a good which one. Which is, it's my favorite horror movie, probably, like, of all time. It's just got a special place in my heart. Um, and it's kind of a sequel to Evil Dead, but it's really a remake. Because um, it's basically the same plot as the first movie, but better. Mm-hmm. So I think of it as a remake, and I kind of tell people, like, don't bother watching the first Evil Dead, just watch Evil Dead 2. So, I hated good. the first one. Well, the second one's awesome. Mm-hmm. I watched the second one in high school, but it was because my bo- boyfriend at the time made me, and uh, we were like mostly making out. So I don't think I really watched it. There's, I will say, there's no um, tree rape in the second one, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that's like a plus a for me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Like, I appreciate it that that's not in the second one. I think the second one is much better. Um, I watched the first and the second one with Ben and Emily, so we were not making out. No, we were okay. paying attention to the film. Yes. <laughs> ben was probably policing us. Yeah. Yeah. He's very serious about his movies. So am I. Um. So mine is 
a little movie called Hairspray. Ooh. Which I thought of because I just recently watched it. Recently so good. rewatched it. And I was like pleasantly surprised by how well it held up. I was like, this is still pretty great. Um You mean the one with Zach Efron? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. The um, musical. I mean, I yeah. the original is great too, but it's pretty different because the original is not, not a, musical. a musical. Yes. Then it's got Ricky really Lake in it. It does. I also yeah. I love the original one. It's yeah. very good. It's, I love you know, both. it's John Waters. It's obviously great. Um, but the original is uh, not a musical, as we said, and it's very strange. And then they made a Broadway musical based on the original film. And then they made a film based on the Broadway musical based on the original film. So this is actually kind of appropriate for uh, what we're talking about this episode. Because um, it's like a cycle of remakings. Um, anyway, I love this movie when i was in high school i went to see it in theaters like seven times with my uh best friend justine because she was obsessed with zach efron and made me go with her a lot of times but anyway yeah, it's it's a great fun i love musical. zach efron also i, th- I yeah. think this is a good time to say if you haven't noticed already Susan is not here this episode. This would be a great spot for Susan to jump in because she loves John Waters and Hairspray. The first one is a John Waters movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, congrats, Susan. Susan just got married. married. Unfortunately, yeah. Susan just had the happiest day of her life. Uh, so, and we were all there, and, we were and all it was there. beautiful. Yeah, it was lovely. We had. Such a wonderful time, and we are so happy for Susan and her husband, Justin, yes. who you may have heard yes. on the pod. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to having her back for the next episode. Yes. But in the meantime, it's just just the three of us. Yeah. Tiny so Just the three of us. We can make it if we try. Um, so I have a Goodreads description. Inspired by a true story. True story. This Supernatural thriller for fans of horror and true crime follows a tale as it evolves every 20 years with terrifying results. I find it interesting that this says for fans of true crime. I'm like, is this for fans of true crime? Yeah, I think so. We can get into that. Yeah. Uh, Ella Louise has lived in the woods surrounding Pilots Creek, Virginia for nearly a decade. Publicly, she and her daughter Jessica are shunned by their upper crust family and the Pilots Creek residents. Privately, desperate townspeople visit her apothecary for a cure to what ails them, until Ella Louise is blamed for the death of a prominent customer. Accused of witchcraft, both mother and daughter are burned at the stake in the middle of the night. Ella Louise's burial site is never found, but the little girl has the most famous grave in the South, a steel-reinforced coffin surrounded by a fence of interconnected white crosses. That part it's true, folks. Whoa. We will link to this to the really weird um, ghost hunter blog post. Yeah. That, <laughs> that details uh, this original story. But anyway, continuing. Their story will take the shape of an urban legend as it's told around a campfire by a man forever marked by his boyhood encounters with Jessica. Decades later, a boy at that campfire will cast Amber Pendleton as Jessica in a 70s horror movie inspired by the witch girl of Pilot's Creek. Amber's experiences on that set and its meta remake in the 90s will ripple through pop culture, ruining her life and career after she becomes the target of a witch hunt. 
Amber's best chance to break the cycle of horror comes when a true crime investigator tracks her down to interview her for his popular podcast. But will this final act of storytelling redeem her, or will it bring the story full circle, ready to be told once again, and again, and again? Um, so first, I want to talk about this as a concept, because I think it's pretty unique and unlike anything I've ever read in book form anyway. So how did you guys feel about this idea of retelling a story through four parts in four different ways? Um, I really like um, when books kind of, like, create this – their own mythology, I guess, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better way of ex- describing it. Um, and I think that book is doing – this book is doing that. And we can talk a little bit more about that because, like, I have a lot of feelings about how this book is doing that, especially because this is based on a true story. And I feel like – Part of what's happening here is that the author is also reflecting on his version of the story as well. Um, So I think it's all very cyclical and it kind of makes it like the remaking in the book is meta, but the book itself also becomes a meta narrative. Mm -hmm. So I found that really interesting. Like it, it made the book seem more alive if that makes sense yeah and it makes sense to me it feels it definitely feels more like interconnected through all of these retellings and it comes it really comes full circle for me i think because Mm -hmm. the person who initially tells the story at the campfire and i guess now is a time to say there will be spoilers. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Oops. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for everything. So many spoilers. I'm about to spoil something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's circular because the guy who initially tells the story in the beginning also shows up in the sort of the last retelling of yes. uh, Jessica's story. And... I love that. Like, I love how we circle back around to him and how he is a character in the larger world. Also, I like that the story is getting retold in a different way each time, but there is still this central focus on film and storytelling through film. And that's just like, I don't know. You know, I feel like a lot of times, Todd says this all the time, like, you know, People in Hollywood love movies about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They love movies about making a movie, and those kinds of movies win Oscars all the time. I think to some extent, book people love a book about storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think that the remaking is doing that. Like, not only do we get this sort of, like, urban legend, circular tale, but we also get a story about crafting stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's, like, really interesting. And it worked for me to keep me interested, just, like, on a basic reader level. Because each time I got to a new part of the novel where the narr- the focus was going to switch, I was like, who's it going to be this time? Do I know yeah. who it's going to be? Have I met this character yet? And it kept me really interested because I just truly did not know where it was going to go. Yeah. Mm. And each section sort of ends with 
a bit of a mystery or something is about to happen and you don't see it happen. And then the, the beginning of the next section, it takes a little bit to figure out what happened. Yeah. At, like at the end of the last section. Because it each section skips forward, is it, I guess, like 20 years each time? Yeah. So the first one is in the 50s, then the 70s, then the 90s, and then it's like present day-ish. So that one is like 30-year skip. But um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I was really like – that was kind of like a mind-blowing moment for me when it turned out that the guy in the booth was t- the same guy who told the original story. Yes. Especially because he, he says the exact same – speech and when we read it the first time you can tell he's talking to somebody but you don't get the perspective of that other person at all so you don't mm-hmm. hear that other person say anything but then um, when you make the connection but, yeah and you can and you hear the responses of who might be talking to him and it suddenly becomes because the f- in the first chapter it's almost sort of and maybe this is just because emily and i saw a. Uh, like, had the opportunity to hear Clay McLeod Chapman do a reading, um, or more like a recital yeah. of a, a monologue, the first, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a monologue of the first section of this book, and he performs it as though he is that character. Oh, that's um, really cool. Yeah, it was, was really cool. cool. Unfortunately, uh, someone passed out in the, in the was, bar that he was. It was too scary. <laughs> it was wild. We were yeah. like sitting there. He's talking about the little witch girl, and all of a sudden, there's like a giant thump, and everyone's like, <gasps> "Yeah!" And then he didn't get to finish. Tensions so. were high, you yeah. know. Tensions were high. Um, but anyway, uh, it's very theatrical the way that the story is being told in this first section, and then when we actually hear a person telling it to another person, it feels so much more grounded in reality. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It definitely is. I I mean I was so hooked in that in the first part where you're hearing the story first person from like this old dude at a campfire drinking liquor, you know. Like I <laughs> was so into that because it felt so folkloric and like it was mm-hmm. rooted in like oral folktale traditions and I was just like, yes. Yeah, want to yeah. eat it up. I'm here for it. Totally. I don't have anything critical to say about it. I'm just like, give it to me. Well, good. <laughs> um, so what is this book saying about remaking in general? Is the art of remaking things a good practice or a bad one? I want to get my book for a second because there's something I want to read from it. Yes. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that I think this book is especially timely in our current pop cultural moment because half of what we consume is recycled material. Like, we're getting TV show remakes, we're getting movie remakes, we're getting reboots, we're getting uh, so many versions of the same things that we've heard over and over again. So, I mean... I just wanted to make sure that I got the quote right. It's pretty simple, but it's the very last page of the book. Um, It says, uh, you men always try to tell our story. You men always get it wrong. And I thought this was really interesting because obviously this book is written by a man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of seems like some sort of meta commentary on like, 
maybe like self-awareness on the author's part that like oh yeah i'm telling this story but because it because it is based on a true story like i'm telling mm-hmm. this story mm-hmm. but i'm probably still like this is still probably some sort of bastardization of like what actually happened yeah so i thought right. i thought that was really interesting um i think um we kind of come around in the end to a little commentary on uh, gender um, mm-hmm. because this, the book begins with, um, like, we learn by the end that this the person telling the story in the beginning is a, is a man. Um, yes. Yeah. And then both of the um, movies, the film versions, are directed by men. And then mm-hmm. in the last section, it's a podcast that is hosted by a man. Hosted by a man, and the um, book that all of this is in is written by a man, and yet the central characters of the story are women. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting. Also, I feel like this is part. Like I'm bringing this up with the remake thing because I think this is part of the conversation about remakes is like what how the story is told yeah and mm-hmm. like w- like because every time you tell a story it's going to be from a different vantage point we just talked about this in our last episode with little women because we talked a little bit about the 90s version versus the Greta Gerwig version that just came out and how they're right. the same story but told very like differently um so, but it's just kind of interesting because the story is being retold and it's slightly different, but what stays the same is it's being told, it's a story about women that's being told by men over and over again. Yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't even I, think Yeah, I don't that. even know that I thought of that when I, while I was reading, because I was so interested in it on just like a plot level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But stepping back and donning my English. Yeah. Yes. Get, get on my level, Mary. I know. I I turned my <laughs> dissertation in today. I don't have to think again until March second. <laughs> oh, congratulations! I didn't yeah, realize that. Yeah. You did it in today. My defense awesome. is March second. Yay! Um, also, if you don't hear anything about it after March second, I failed. <laughs> oh gosh, you're not gonna fail. I will cry. I highly doubt. Um. That. Yeah, I didn't even think about that as I was reading, but like you saying that, I think it's got to be something like highly and i mean we don't know this right but you know death of the author and all that but like it seems intentional yeah that all of these remakes are getting um told by men i mean there is a central woman in the text who like tries to get involved with this story but she's essentially like driven mad and mm-hmm. she's a, she's a pawn, really. She like, is. She's like a vessel. Yeah, which sucks. Which is playing with another cool horror trope: the idea of like yeah. women as vessels to be vessels. inhabited. Yeah. Which we and, talked a little and bit she, with my best friend's exorcism. Oh yeah, yeah. And she, uh, Amber, this character who is the actress who gets cast as um, Jessica, the child in the first movie, and then later on because of, like, the weird events that occurred on the set of the first movie, which really were, like, her being, you know, haunted by Ella Louise and Jessica. Um, She 
this movie sort of lives in infamy um, because of the troubled production. And then the remake, she is hired to then play the mother character, who is the one who dragged her through the forest when she was a child. So it's like, it, like she's also remaking, yeah, like herself in a way each time because she's playing these different characters and like i have a a quote from like one of the chapters from her perspective which is in the third part um where she's talking about uh she's just gotten to the set um for the remake ready to bring jessica back from the dead sergio asks then to the rest of the crew he shouts let's make history He's wrong, so so wrong. This isn't about making history; it's about rewriting it. This story has this story has already been told a hundred times before. We're here to revise. We're here to revise it. I'm here to edit myself out. The legend of the little witch girl of Pilots Creek retold, reborn. The force of this story, Jessica's story, my story, has taken on a life of its own. It has evolved through the, through the decades, undying. Look at how craven prop, pop culture has become. Look at how it eats its own films and regurgitates them back onto the screen again and again. Think of the mother spider whose body feeds its young. The first thing those newborn spiders do after they've hatched is devour their mother. These remakes are the same. They give birth to a swarm of sequels, feasting on the films that spawned them in the first place, only to repeat the process over and over again. That is sharp criticism! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I think, I mean, I think it's really interesting because especially Amber, obviously, is super bitter about this entire situation. Yes. Uh, And she is involved in the horror movie scene, which is really of all movie genres, kind of the one filled with the most remakes, which, of course, like, two out of the three of us talked about horror remakes as our favorites. So because it's, you know, it's easy in a way to remake horror movies because a lot of people think that the purpose of horror movies is just to be scary, so you don't have to tell a new story. You can just recycle the same pieces. And another thing I thought was interesting was – how the movie that uh, the remake of the original movie in this book is also sort of meta and talking about itself and talking about um, the tropes of horror. And they like uh, it's sort of a joke that like that movie never got to be released. And then Scream came out right after that, which is like the ultimate like, meta horror movie about all of the tropes of horror movies. Well, yeah, and when I was reading the script, because the one of the cool things that I really liked is at the beginning of both of the movie section, there's a little, like, snippet of the script of that movie. Right. And, yes. like, when you're reading the script from the 90s movie, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, Scream. Or, like, that's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, I like that he, uh, like, made a direct nod to that. Like, oh, this yeah. was Scream before Scream was Scream. Right. And this is very clearly, like, written by a person who has a lot of experience in the film industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of really cool detail, especially about, like, costuming and makeup and stuff. I really enjoyed reading the technical details of of making a film, Um, which weren't even necessarily, like, required, but... It made it feel more real though because it was so detail oriented it was like building out the world um 
And I appreciated that, too. And also, if we don't get, like, an understanding of what kind of prosthetics that Amber has to wear to become Jessica, we don't Mm -hmm. get, like, the cool scene of, like, them finding her with her prosthetics half fallen off and, like, real injuries mixed in with her makeup injuries. Right. And we don't get her, you know, talking about when she sees Ella Louise and she's like, oh, my gosh, her makeup looks so so good. good. It's so (laughs) realistic. (laughs) The description of of those bodies, those ghost corpses is so detailed and so creepy. I found myself during those scenes reading all the scenes with like Amber and Ella Louise in the woods I was freaking out so much because I often like I was reading this at night right before I go to bed in the dark. (laughs) I like had it on my Kindle and I was reading in the dark like right before I went to bed and I would get so freaked out that I would just have to like hurriedly get through it so I wouldn't be scared. Right. (laughs) Which I think is like high praise. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely creepy. And speaking of which, I wanted to... This is a good segue. How about the ghost story itself? Is the story of Jessica and Eloise compelling, and does it matter if it's not? I, I mean, I thought it was compelling. Yeah. I actually think my favorite, and I mean, again, like, I might be biased because I did get to see him read this, but right. I yeah. think I think my favorite part was the first section, and I think you, to read the rest of it and to really like buy into other people being so fascinated by the story. It has to be like one of the best parts of the book. Yes. Um, and and it has to have that feeling of like, uh, like a, a legend, you know? Yeah. Um, and like getting back to the gender thing again, I can't help myself. Like I just just look at everything with a feminist lens, but like, you know, like you're, when you're talking about witches also, like, that is we don't talk about feminism on this podcast (laughs) i'm sorry it's disgusting (laughs) um but yeah i mean like when you're talking about witches like like traditionally women who like don't adhere to gender norms or like have been called out as witches like Mm -hmm. for whatever reason so i mean it's very likely that these women were just like not women. One of them was a child, but these these two female human beings, yes, child, <laughs> child and mom, um, were probably just like normal ass women who were just like a little weird, and because they were weird and because they were women, they were like run out of town for it. Um, yeah, and like I, I just always find that interesting. Yeah, and there's a continuation of of women being blamed for things because then, mm-hmm. yes. you know, in, yes. in the movie that first happens, Amber sort of, like, screws up the production, but yeah. then she kind of saves it by, you know, having a terrible thing happen to her. But then she, you know, says that the, a ghost literally buried me in the ground and obviously nobody believes her. Uh, and, like, she, she sort of gets blamed for making it up, but then also the woman who is playing Ella Louise at the time also gets blamed. Right. And then later on, Amber gets blamed for murdering the the little girl who plays Jessica in the remake, and she didn't do it, it was the ghost, etc. 
And what's interesting is that, like, even in those situations, like, the women aren't because technically, yes, like Jessica and Ella Louise are guilty later on for taking these people, but they literally thought that they were finding each other. Also, they're ghosts. Ghosts are outside the legal system. That's true. What you gonna do? Put them in jail? Yeah, they still don't have. They still don't necessarily have malicious intent. Like all they want is each other. Get back to each other. Um, which is like so sad. Yeah, honestly. Even if you want to go back to the original, um, you know, like living Ella Louise and Jessica. Essentially, it seems like, and I don't know that anybody comes out and says this. But it seems like Ella Louise is, like, maybe raped. Oh, and yeah. And that's why she uh, has Jessica. Yeah, because she, like, disappears into the woods yeah, and then... That's yeah. not her fault. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it like that. You know? Like, that's not her fault, but her having this child and sort of being shunned out of society for something that's mm-hmm. not her fault marks her as, like, being weird. Right. Well, she was just weird to begin with because she was, like like spooky vibes and then there's always a spooky kid you know yeah <laughs> somebody's like, gotta I be was, the spooky kid i was spooky i i feel like yeah, i Kelly for sure would have been burned <laughs> i would have been burned at the stake big, if I had big been wednesday born at the adam right vibes adam's vibes from a lot of kelly's childhood pictures yeah spooky spooky child yes. i wasn't a spooky kid i just liked really weird creepy things yeah. yeah. I liked some creepy things. Other creepy things were, like, too much for me. But yeah. I definitely was, like, a huge, like, Beetlejuice person. Oh, yeah. I was a huge James and the Giant Peach fan. Loved oh, we've Nightmare heard. Before Christmas. We've heard oh, yeah. of your James and the Giant Peach <laughs> love. Oh, yeah. Did I talk about um my crush? Yes. Yes. On the caterpillar. My, my blooming sexuality. <laughs> Centipede. Oh, excuse not me? caterpillar. Wow. Uh, anyway. Very important. <laughs> so this is not a segue. Uh, I think <laughs> one of the other major themes of this novel is trauma, both individual and generational. How does this story engage with the trauma of its characters, and does the ending allow for healing and or redemption? Hmm. I mean, we have... All of this trauma from Ella Louise and Jessica and their experiences mm-hmm. f- trickling down yep. through the generation. That's the obvious answer. Yeah. Right? Like, trickling down to Amber, trickling down to the newest little girl mm-hmm. that's going to play Jessica. I mean, also, to some extent, like, the storyteller in part one is sort of haunted by the trauma of sort of being, mm, I don't know if partner is too strong a word, but, like, being witness. Well, I mean, he says he's haunted, so. Yeah. And he's passing that on to other people, to the kid who heard it and was like, I gotta make a movie about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then to the kid who saw the VHS tape and was yes. fucking terrified. Yes. That part was also very relatable because yes. I remember – we talked about this in another episode, too, about um, – was it maybe uh, 
during the Doctor Sleep episode when we were talking about, like, walking through Blockbuster as a kid mm-hmm. and being, like, seeing these certain movie covers that you just, like, oh, yeah. couldn't, like, Silence of the Lambs yes, was si- one for me. Yes, I was going to say, Silence of the Lambs, like, woo. Yeah. I, I also could not watch, like, I didn't see Alien until I was very much an adult because as a child I was scarred by the tra- like seeing the trailer I mean it's also scary movies. it's very scary but just like I was like I cannot fuck with that oh same I didn't see it as an adult because I was scarred by the great movie ride yes yes MGM Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's like a fun movie ride and all of a sudden it's like this is the horror section and it's like when I went there as a kid, my mom straight up told me, close your eyes during yeah. this It's part. scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of which, R.I.P. that ride. I know, I love that it. That was one of my yeah, favorite rides Aww. ever. So lame that it's closed. I'm still sad about the E.T. ride. Yeah. Carousel of Progress is going next. I can feel it. People have died on that. Yeah, a person originally in... uh, This is a weird uh, piece of knowledge I have. (laughs) Some more folklore for you. In the California, like the debut spot of the Carousel of Progress, a woman, a cast member, was leaning through the uh, folding walls to like get something and they crushed her. Mm-hmm. And so Disney World said, or uh, the Walt Disney Company said, maybe we just move it to Florida, put in an extra fail safe, and don't say anything about it. Sounds like Great. Disney. Sounds just yeah. like Disney. Well, no, I just, I always think about that story of that girl who disappeared on the Disney cruise. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Disney covered that shit up. I'm, I'm fully you. convinced if you had a heart attack or something in Disney World, they'd drag your body off. Yeah. Well, yeah, supposedly they can't declare you dead until you're in the ambulance off of Disney property. Yeah. So no one has ever died at Disney, mm, technically. Nah. <laughs> um, Definitely anyway. got murdered on a Disney cruise. That didn't happen. Yeah. It yeah. did happen. It Just did. look it up. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but back to grief and trauma. Yes. Uh, or not Speaking grief, Disney, just trauma. Back to trauma. Um, <laughs> trauma. Amber has a lot of trauma. Yes. Uh, and, like, I think her story is, like, the closest thing we get to someone, like, almost finding a way to, like, heal. But, like, I don't know if it's... Because, like, her her trauma begins with this film but also you know she has a really strained relationship with her mother yeah um which i found really interesting because this whole story is about a mother and daughter who are so close and all they want is to get back together and amber becomes fixated on reuniting this mother and daughter and and making it right um and i think you know and we learn that her mother passes away from lung cancer i think Mm -hmm. and I think she's very much, like, attaching her own trauma and her yeah. own relationship with her mom to this story and finding a way to, like, make it right in her head. What else did you guys want to talk about with this? Didn't you say you wanted to talk about how this is a book for true crime people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of 
I kind of can see that because to me, true crime is all about a mystery. Mm-hmm. Maybe you solve that mystery by the end of the story and maybe you don't. That's just yeah. kind of like how true crime is. Um, and it's also often very gruesome and detailed and violent. And I think this book hits a lot of those markers. You know, like there is a mystery. There are lots mm-hmm. of details about it. It kind of moves through procedurally examining different parts. Uh, you know, like it did kind of remind me of Serial in a way of how it's like this episode, we're going to talk about Amber. This episode, yeah. we're going to talk about the legend itself. You know, like different parts kind of were from different angles. So like I understand the true crime aspect. Like, it's not true crime per se, even though it is based on a actual story, but it does hit a lot of those buttons, I think. Also, it's so good that in the last section, you get this podcaster, and it's just poking fun at podcasting. It's very, um, it reminded me a lot of the podcast lore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, cause it's just like him narrating, like, yes. uh, but it also reminded me of speaking of remakes or reboots. Did you guys saw the new Halloween movie, right? No, no. I haven't seen the old one. I haven't oh, seen really? the new one. Wait, yeah. which new one? The one that came out like last, like last year. No, I didn't see it because half the people who saw it said it were, was like amazing. And then the other half said it was trash. And I was, confused. it wasn't trash. I liked it. It wasn't, I wouldn't call it amazing either. But I really like. Well, I don't want to spoil Halloween. that movie. But there's, I know that's a, a plot. Unpopular opinion, but what I said, I like the Rob Zombie Halloween. Oh, I didn't see that. Wow, I've only like seen it. the original Halloween. I've and then seen zero Halloweens. Well, I recommend you check this out if you enjoyed poking fun at podcasters <laughs> because. The movie starts with a pair of podcasters who go to try to interview Jamie Lee Curtis and, like, the other victim, like, other people who are involved with this. And they go and try to interview uh, Jason. Speaking of Halloween, I do want to say, did you notice that the little girl, the second little girl who was playing um, Jessica in the remake her last name was Mm -hmm. strode which is is jamie lee curtis's last name in the halloween series i feel like that was on purpose about that gotta be i'm sure i'm just wondering i'm sure there are so many easter eggs things that i just didn't catch but i was like strode like laurie strode yeah so yeah yeah that's all i i feel like clay mcleod is very culturally pop culturally savvy yeah Mm -hmm. In a really fun way. I like that. Yeah. Shows. And we talk, we have talked about before on the show, like how to integrate pop culture and like current day stuff while making, like, how will this book read in, you know, 20 years or whatever? Yeah. And I think that because this book is so firmly planted, like each section is like at a yep. point in time. Um, so I think that it, it was a really smart way to do it because it's like, here's all this stuff about podcasting. That's yeah. what's really popular in this year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it just was so good. Like him walking through the leaves and thinking, I'm getting some really good background noise of these crunchy yeah. leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to start doing that on our podcast. It was, it just reminded me of like every true crime podcast I've ever heard where it's like, I went to go talk to so-and-so and you just hear like footsteps on gravel. <laughs> yeah. Or you're like in the car and you hear like the, the blinker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so good. And it, I mean, that's something that, like, so situates it during yeah. a specific moment in time in a way that's, like, amusing for people who get it and informative for people who don't get it. Mm-hmm. For so, sure. I think it, it was a smart move. It was good, a good choice to do that. I agree. Um. So do we have anything else to say or do we want to do ratings? I'm I'm ready to do ratings. Okay. Why don't you go first? I want to double check what I gave it. I didn't rate it yet, officially. Oh, you're waiting to hear what we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just waiting to talk about it a little. Yeah, a lot of times I change my mind after we talk about stuff. I yeah. gave it a four out of five on Goodreads. I think... I probably would even give it like a 4.5 or something. Yeah. I think, so here's my thing, is, like, I am going, like, I think I would give it a four. I'm, like, really stingy with my fives. Yes. Yeah. As we all know. I'm getting more but stingy I think, for, with my fives because of you. <laughs> uh, well, and I feel like I've been, I've been uh, compelled to be less stingy with my fives ever since we had Leah on yeah. and she talked about how, she always, like, gives things higher ratings to balance things out. And so – and I feel like this is a book from an indie publisher, which right. makes me want to give it a five because I liked it. So – and I want people to read it, and I think it's worth reading, Um, even if, like – I mean, I did really like it. I'm just yeah, – I'm too. that person who's like, I cultivate you my fives. You know what? I'm going to give it a five right now. I yeah. changed it. Woo! Good. Boom. Right. I'm showing I think I'm going to do that, too. For those at um, home, I'm showing it. Because I would love for more people to uh, to read this. Yeah. Because it's, it's really fun. I'm going to stay firmly in a four. That's fair. You cannot. Um, I really enjoyed this. I um, have been really excited about reading it. Like, this is very much my jam. Like, oh, yeah. we're, we're We're talking. This is my territory here. Obviously, like, love horror movies. This is my thing. Um, so I especially, like, I love, like, a book about horror, like, a horror novel about horror movies. Really cool. Um, and I enjoyed it. And like I said, like, I felt like the way that this book created this mythology was really cool. My main gripe with it is that, um, this is just me, like, writer's workshop corner. You know I gotta go there as the creative writer Mm -hmm. person. Um, voice-wise... We're hearing from a lot of different narrators, but aside from, I felt like this, the section in the beginning where you're getting the, the story of Jessica and Ella Louise, the voice sounded different, but in every other section, I felt like no matter who was talking, it sounded like the same person. And so that's that's why I'm not, that's why I'm not going to give it the five. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm I'm sorry. That's nitpicky, but to me, like a five is like perfect, perfect book. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying I'm going to give it a five because I 
because it's an indie book. Still really enjoyed this. I really, really enjoyed this. Would highly recommend it. Tell other people to read it. So I'm not yes. saying that. And like probably like most yeah. people, that's they're not even going to notice that. Or like maybe that's yeah. just me being crazy. But Everybody doesn't have a PhD in creative writing. <laughs> and you know what? Just because I have a PhD in creative writing doesn't mean that my opinion is better. Yeah. Than anyone else's. It's just my experience. Right. But I still really enjoyed reading the book. So. Yeah. I also feel like, and I, I read it, but I feel like this would make a really good audiobook. Yeah. I think it would be excellent on audiobook. So just a suggestion. If you're, for some reason, you're listening to this and you haven't read it yet. I haven't read the audiobook, but this seems like one. Like, after I finished reading it, I thought, like, I kind of wish I'd listened to the audio. I feel like that would be good. And I think the author narrates I'm curious what the audiobook is like. I liked it. Yes. We all liked it. Thumbs up. Thumbs up all around. Thumbs up. Yes. Yes. Great job. You can keep writing. I'm also highly interested. I haven't read any of it, but uh, Clay McLeod Chapman has written a lot of Spider-Man property books. Oh, you hmm. should get into that as our he, comic book person. Yeah, he's a he's a comic author, comic book author, and he has written a lot. Like, he's written some books about Venom, and he's written some Spider-Man stuff, and I love Spider-Man, so I'm curious. He also, he just had something come out about Venom, I want to say, that's gotten, like, good buzz. Like, I've seen it other places, too, people talking about it, so. Cool. Yeah. Um, we want to take a moment to acknowledge that we have lost the most beautiful soul. Tiny um, angel. Tiny angel. P. P. Kitten of the pod has unfortunately passed. And uh, we love him. We loved him very yes. much. Emily loved him very much. And this episode, as strange as it is, is dedicated <laughs> to the P. I don't know if he would have liked this book. I think he would. He has watched you know, many a horror movie he, with Emily. The the P sat and read a lot of this book yes. with me, so yes, I think he did like it. Yeah, good. We love him, and we will be thinking of him forevermore. He's very uh, good, and we are so, so sorry, Emily. Yeah. We love you. He was the but, best. Yeah, the best best reading buddy. You'll see if you go to our Instagram. There are several pictures of P with books because. If I would get in bed and read, he would come and curl up cuddle. next to me and cuddle while I read. Um, and actually, I do also want to say he loved being read to. Oh, so um, I've had Pete for a really long time. So we've been through a lot together. And he, when I moved to Hattiesburg from Georgia, he was in the back seat. And I read to him some of the way there. Um, I remember, so <laughs> the first time we moved was from Atlanta to Milledgeville, and I read The Last Unicorn to him. Oh. <laughs> so I always associate that book with the P because he really likes, it kind of calmed him down in the car, like listening to me read The Last Unicorn. Aww. And then on the way to Hattiesburg, we read Gone Girl together. And so, Aww. you know, he's my little book buddy. Yeah. Aww. And I will miss him forever. Oh, don't well, really know wonderful. what to do without him, you know, but yeah. I'll figure it out, I guess. Well, 
little C is <laughs> she's trying still around. She's trying to she's trying to step into book buddy position. She's yeah. not good at it. She's trying. <laughs> you know, I tried to pose her with a book the other day and she was not feeling it. <laughs> but, you know, she has made She'll appearances learn. and as you know, C is a singer on our theme song. Yes. Featured. So. It's true. <laughs> featured artist. Featured, every the featured singer. She gets a solo. <laughs> Yeah. Every episode of this Every podcast episode. features C. So she is still a very important part of this process, yes. even if she doesn't read it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Love you, P. Yes. Rest P. in P. Yes. But not like P, but yeah. like P. Like the, like the, the P. little P's. Yeah. Like the little green circle. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, we have some listener feedback. We have quite a bit of listener feedback because... This is what happens when you harass people. (laughs) And when you do an episode on something that everyone sees. True. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So our last other episode is on Little Women. We have a bunch of Little Women feedback. Uh, Who wants to start? Um, I'll start. Okay. From friend and former guest of the pod, Jen... Jen! From Louisiana? Jen says, Hi, everyone. I still have not seen the movie, but I enjoyed your episode about Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Mary mentioned at lunch a few weeks ago that she had thought that Joe and Laurie wanted to be each other. I would like to hear more of your thoughts on Joe, Laurie, and Ginger. Um, I I said on the podcast that Joe is actually a lesbian. Uh-huh. And... But I also think, you know, there are a lot of points throughout the the novel where Joe says, everything would be so much easier if I was a boy. I yep. wish I was a boy. Yep. It's, like, so lame that I'm a girl. Uh, and I do think that there is, like, some, some gender dysphoria stuff going on there. Well, um, I think even more than like straight up gender there is gender dysphoria stuff going on i agree yeah but like even maybe more complicated than that i think when i talked about this at lunch i think what i was getting at is like all joe wants is to have the means to study and write go to college travel abroad and laurie has all those things just like Mm -hmm. thrown at him automatically and all laurie wants is like a loving family and a mom (laughs) and like people who care about him and joe automatically has all that so like Mm -hmm. they want what each other doesn't have not to say like joe doesn't care about her family and cherish them and love them but like they do want each other's lives to some extent and so i think in laurie's mind he's just like well if we get married we get we both get what we want right but Joe's like, ew. Yeah. As discussed, Lori just wants in on the family. Yeah. Uh, any way he can get it. So. There's so much interesting gender stuff going on there. Like, I'm even thinking of the line, let us be elegant or die. <laughs> That's my favorite. I'm obsessed I with I love that. it. Isn't it Amy? Um, is it, or is it Meg? I don't, th- I think it's just 
I think that's like Louisa May Alcott, like saying in narration. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's saying it's when Joe and Meg are going to the dance together. And they like, it's like Joe's super uncomfortable. And Meg has like her bobby pins all like stuck in her head. And it's like, but let us be elegant or die. Um, But yeah, also in the film, there's a lot of, which is just like little touches where throughout the movie you see Joe wearing things that later you see Lori wearing and vice yeah. versa. Um they're like swapping clothes. Uh you know, they just are you know, I think I think that it's interesting that something written so long ago is so like chill about yeah, gender, you know. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. Also, go see the movie, Jen. Yeah, what the it's fuck, It's not Jen? too late. Jen, you study children's lit. Jen! I, I really don't understand, Jen, because you went to see The Turning, <laughs> and yet you haven't seen Little Women. You need to Jen get your priorities in line. Movies, apparently. <laughs> Our priority should not be The Turning. It definitely should not. That movie was awful. So bad. Jen. So bad that we're not Please. even writing about it, because I have nothing to say. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'll read Todd's letter. Okay. Todd and Kelly met for the first time. We did. At Susan's wedding. It was wonderful. We're best friends. When we left, Todd said, Kelly's really nice. Aw. And and cool. He said you were cool also. Oh, my God. Todd, you are nice and cool. And I'm going (laughs) to read your letter now. This is from Todd, friend and lover of the pod. Um. Hello. I wanted to give a special shout out to Chris Cooper, who played Mr. Lawrence. The scenes between him and Beth, and especially the scene where he listens to her playing piano, are able to convey so much without a lot of dialogue or time being spent on them. And it all pays off beautifully and very sadly when he doesn't feel he can enter a Bethless March house. Also, as you all said, shout outs to Florence Pugh, our once and future queen. Yes, shout out to Florence Pugh. All that. Uh, When you are hearing this, the Oscars were last night. Um... I'm Congrats, sure she didn't Florence win Best Supporting Actress. Congrats. But I wish she did. <laughs> yeah, we all I'm want sure it win. went to Laura Dern. In my heart, she won. In my heart, it was Florence. Yes. You know how, like, podcasts take on a personality and, like, have things that they love, like, as a podcast? Mm-hmm. I think Florence Pugh is officially one of those things that this podcast endorses. I don't know. If Susan yeah. was here, she might debate. Yeah, well, she's not. So, cutting her in. <laughs> Susan I think she say, likes Florence. I think she likes Florence Pugh, too. I think she is just uh, a fan of Kirsten, baby Kirsten. I think she's a fan of, like, uh, like age-appropriate Which actors. truly leads into our <laughs> next letter. I cannot read either of these next ones because I disagree with both wholeheartedly and refuse to read them with my voice. One of the next I'm going to read Ben's. Is okay. from Ben, just to be clear. Don't want to read it, Ben. Um, Hannah from Mississippi says, I loved the movie, but I really wish they would have casted an actual 13-year-old for Amy because legit 13-year-olds are going to go in there and think, why don't I look like that? When it's just because that is a whole ass grown woman and no 13-year-old looks close to that. Okay. I feel like, all right, go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. I just want to, I don't think that, I mean, Florence Pugh is a beautiful woman, but also I don't think that going into Little Women, it's like Amy is like a, an aspirational, sexy character. Yeah. Like, 
at 13. So I don't think that it's really like a like a concern that 13 year olds are going to be like, yeah. why don't I look like her? Because also yes, it's clearly the same actress and she's older in the same movie. And yes. I like I hope that 13 year olds are smart enough to understand that. <laughs> I, it's, it's hard for me because part of me wants to say, yes, we need all sorts of representation for all sorts of girls, girls who look different, who are different ages, etc. But also I'm like, I was supposed to believe that the cast of Riverdale was like 14. <laughs> like literally every CW show is like a cast full of like 30 year old people playing high schoolers also as we just established Florence Pugh deserves an Oscar for her performance in this role so hard disagree hard disagree that they cast anybody else she was perfect I understand the argument for casting a separate I mean for me I either want the whole group of girls all the March sisters to be different when they're younger, mm-hmm. yes. Or I want them. But all I don't to be want that. I want them all to be yeah. the same because, as we talked about in the podcast, um, we had issues with feeling attached to the grown-up version of Amy because who the fuck was that bitch? We don't know her. Yeah, in the original, right? Or second adaptation, I, I guess. Edward's getting fed because he was crying. Come here, sweetie. Oh. Um. So yeah. I respectfully disagree, Hannah. Yes, Dis- I understand. I disrespectfully disagree. You're, you're, <laughs> you're dissing my girl Florence, so you need to get the fuck out of this podcast. <gasps> Damn. After soliciting feedback. I didn't solicit from this person. I do not know who this is, so I, I do not care. She's my friend from Game Studies Group. I don't know oh. who that is. Yeah, I thought she was Susan's friend. No, she um, she is in the game studies group with me. Well, thank you for writing, Hannah. Better luck next time. Oh no, Um, (laughs) it was a a good first effort, but no. I also don't agree with this next one, so Kelly's going to read it. This other one for Ben, because (laughs) Ben and I are the only two members of Team Timothy on. Related to this podcast. Yeah. So ben, talk, friend, speaking of things that the podcast loves, Timothy is not on that list. <laughs> oh, fuck you guys. Just, uh, just um, as a group, we do not love Timothy. Ben, friend and lover of the pod, writes, Timothy can do no wrong in everything I have seen. He is a weird mix of confidence and vulnerability. I agree with this. And just, nowhere can it be better seen than in, once again, the I will recommend this every time. Call me by your name. I have to say, the other day, uh, we were talking about the new... I I think this was when we were at Susan's Way, and we were talking about the new Wes Anderson movie. Mm -hmm. And Ben said, is Timothy the new darling? (laughs) The new (laughs) darling of Wes Anderson? And yeah, he is. And it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes sense. Timothy is made for Wes Anderson. Sculpted in the Wes Anderson factory. (laughs) And that he's awkward and gangly. Yeah. yeah. And white. Very white. Yes. Mm-hmm. The All right. We have one last I feedback. guess I'll do this one since I haven't done any. Yes. Because you hated everyone. I, I'm good with this one, so I'll read this one. Okay. This one I solicited also, so. Um, this is from Chloe from Mississippi. Yeah. Um, she said, 
Okay, so I went to see the movie with both of my sisters and my mom. We all cried throughout it for different reasons, I guess. For me, it was mostly because of how affected I was by the perfect casting of each sister. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And how Mm -hmm. I could see visions of the ways that I could be a better sister through each March (laughs) woman. Each sister's journey portraying a different way to grow. Of course, I was mostly attracted to the self-sacrifice that Jo always committed throughout her entire life, putting her sisters above herself in nearly every situation, no matter what it cost her. Saoirse Ronan made that come alive to me through Joe. So, yeah, I cried a lot, and then I hugged my sisters. That's really sweet. That's so sweet. That's very sweet. I agree that, like, I definitely felt emotional over the casting. Like, as soon as I saw all of them sort of going through some iconic motions, I was like, this is it! This is the March sister." Yeah. I said I, I cried almost for the whole movie. Yeah. I was just, like, leaking. Yeah. Um, And I was, like, very – I'm sort of – even though I cry a lot at movies and I'm sort of more emotionally vulnerable as an adult, when I was a teenager, I was a little turd and was always like, you're stupid for crying. (laughs) And so when I was at this movie, I was, like, actively sobbing and I was like, don't look at me. Yeah. I was, like, also with my mom and we were holding hands and both crying. Yeah. So. I was, like, weeping onto Ben, who was there with me, and he was probably just thinking about how great Timothy Chalamet was the whole time. (laughs) But, you know, it's fine. The new darling, Timothy. Yeah, he was like, look at my new darling, Timothy. (laughs) Timothy is the new darling. It's true. Um, so, thank you, everyone, for writing in. Good job, Uh, everyone. You too, listener, can write in. Our email address is the squad at booksquadgoals.com. You can also uh, use our feedback thingy yes. on our website. What's on the block? Oh, my lord. Okay, so. Maybe we should have. I feel like we need a theme song. You guys need to record a second theme song for the block. I know. Okay. Um, so, Bachelor recaps. Let me just say, we just got through a hell of a week of bachelor i am exhausted i feel emotionally drained i feel beaten up on the inside i hate i i like why did we have five hours of the bachelor this week and now i'm gonna have to recap it there's no reason to do this abc nobody asked for this nobody wants it so if you read the bachelor recap this week and you think that i sound angry and susan sounds angry it's because we are angry um (laughs) but i hope you enjoy it anyway yeah. Uh, I have written a little post about a comic strip that I have fallen in love with called Valley Ghouls. It is a almost daily comic strip by Kate Leth, who is uh, a name that you may or may not know. I love her run on Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. Um, she is a super cool comic book artist and writer who has done lots of projects in comics and, and animation. But Valley Ghoul specifically is sort of an autobiographical slice of life comic about her and her partner, Cohen. And it is about their life as they try to navigate things that are hard, like gender and feelings, and things that are easy, like succumbing to playing Stardew Valley for 400 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really cute and well-written, and I often will, like, send pictures of it to Todd and say, look, it is us. (laughs) Um, Cute. Duh. So... 
it's good. I really love it. And you can get a little taste of it on my blog post. Woo. Um, I did an interview, which I think may be our first interview on the blog Blogger exclusive. View. There's going to be some more of those coming. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're going to try to be doing more of that. Um, but I spoke with Kim Taylor Blakemore, who is the author of The Companion, which is a really great book if you are into cr- uh, true crime or just like crime, not really true crime because it's not uh, necessarily true. But it's but it is historical a crime. fiction crime <laughs> romance and it's dope. I highly recommend you check it out. It's really well written. Um, It's like, it has a quote on the cover from Emma Donahue, Mm. another one of the squad's favorites. Yes, she does Um, make a squad fave. She's a squad fave. And the list of squad faves. The book is really good. Um, I really recommend it. So I talked with Kim about the book. I talked about her writing process. We talked about... Um, how she used to write YA and now she writes, uh, or now she's writing adult fiction. Um, we talked about, uh, the book, spoiler, minor spoiler, has some, um, lesbian romance mm. going on in it. So we talked about that and we talked about, um, the importance of representation. Um, and we talked about, like, queer romance in general, and she gave me, like, a really amazing reading list of, like, a ton of awesome oh, lesbian cool. romance books that I'm really looking forward to diving into. So check out my interview with her. I had a lot of fun talking to her. She's cool. Also, she is married to a veterinarian, and they have three cats and three dogs. Oh, my gosh. So she talks a little bit a perfectly about- perfectly even household. Yeah, and all of the animals are, like, rescued from <laughs> the vet. Like, one of them came in from, like, a car accident. How can and, like, you be a vet and, and not have 500 animals? I know. Um, and when she was talking about her dog, she was like, the dogs, we have small, medium, and large. Yes. <laughs> she has one small dog, one medium You have dog, to cover all the sizes. Yeah. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah. On the blog. I mentioned earlier that I have film series things that I do. I am doing a third one right now called February Foreign Films. Ben said I should have called it Foreign Film February, but it's not his blog list, so he doesn't get to tell me what to do. Either way, it's triple F. Right. I'm like, whatever. Anyway. um, So the reason I decided to do this is because I... Usually when I watch foreign films, not all foreign films, but, you know, the good ones, I really enjoy them. I, like, I'm not the type of person who minds subtitles. My only issue with subtitles is when I'm watching movies at home, I get really distracted playing on my phone, and then I realize I I haven't seen anything because you have to read. So, um, (laughs) if I don't go see foreign films in the theater, it's really hard for me to sit down and watch them because it's hard for me to make myself pay attention. This is true, really, for most movies. It's really hard for me to focus on movies when I'm sitting at home. That's why I prefer to go to the theaters, but that's neither here nor there. Really, the point of this is selfish because I'm trying to force myself to watch more foreign films, but the reason I'm choosing to do it in February is because this is you know, the Oscars are at the beginning of the month. And so this is a good way to get a couple of suggestions for foreign films, just what ended up being nominated and some of the things that were on the shortlist for nominations. So um, I'm going to be watching 
a new movie every week that I have never seen before. I started with Pain and Glory, and most recently I did Honeyland. Both of these are nominated for Academy Awards. I guess by the time you listen to this, we'll know if they won anything. But as of right now, I don't know. I just kind of am doing that to prep for the show on Sunday. So check that out. On a completely different scale, (laughs) I wrote about the TV show Evil. It's such a silly show. Um, You may remember I did a little review of CBS's Evil in my fall TV preview. And I said at the time, like, this is a weird, dumb show and I don't know where it's going. Well, I stayed on that ride. (laughs) And it actually has turned into something really interesting. And I started looking forward to watching it every week. And it's just truly bizarre. So I gave you five reasons why it is weird in a good way. The other night I was on Twitter and one of my favorite film critics tweeted something and she was like, evil, the only good show on television. And then like said something else. And I was like, what? Well, I feel like, you know, like this is a type of show that could have very easily been critically panned just like immediately. But the people who created the show also created like The Good Wife. And so I think TV critics are like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll give it a chance. Willing to give it a chance. Yeah. And, it, you know, like, it's it's interesting. It's also it sounds fun really to me, funny although in parts. I do have to say, like, for a while in New York, they had ads for evil all over the place. Yes. And on the, on the buses, it would just be like a school. A like rectangle on the front of the bus that said "evil" in all caps and had like no information at all. Yeah. And so, like, I remember actually on my first date with Chelsea, we were like walking from like one bar to another, and like the bus turned the corner, and she's like, "Oh no, it's one of the evil buses." <laughs> <laughs> evil. The intro for Evil is like white liquid dripping around, and then like a hand that's dipped in black liquid dripping and every time we watch it Todd and Jenny are like time for sexy milk oh my god the sexy milk intro it's so gross that's hilarious no milk is not sexy Mm -mm. Mm -mm. well finally um I have posted which like this is barely relevant to you listening now but you can go and see how wrong I was yesterday was the Oscars, and the day before that, I posted about my predictions um, for who would win, and as per usual, I did who sh- who wins and who should win for um, about 13 different categories. Uh, this is the third year that I've done this. The first year I did this, I got six out of the 13, right? Last year, I got seven, right? Ooh, so it's this eight year, this time. I'm pushing for eight, which would officially mean that I got 61% right, which would mean that I didn't fail Mm -hmm. Um, because both other years I have failed. So definitely don't bet any money on my predictions, (laughs) but you won't because it's already over. It's already happened. Um, Hopefully Joker didn't win anything. (laughs) (laughs) It probably will. It's probably going to win. Well, I know that Joaquin is going to win, so it's fine. I accept. Um, That shouldn't, but you know, whatever. It's fine. I know. I know. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. (laughs) It's... (laughs) 
If you enjoyed this episode with lots of me talking, you'll love the next episode, which will also be lots of me talking. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is on a book called The Need by Helen Phillips. Um, this book I have started over the last couple of days. It is pretty crazy. I can't wait to talk about it. It's pretty crazy. I'm I'm about to start it. it. Um, I've been reading the Julie Marie Wade book, so. It's truly insane. Like. And it only gets more insane. Can't wait. Yeah. It's really, it's cool. Um, so definitely read that and then listen to our episode. Yeah. Both show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BookSquadGoals. Our website is BookSquadGoals.com. Our email address is thesquad at BookSquadGoals.com, as I said earlier. It would be so great if you could subscribe um, to us on any podcast app you happen to use, and it would be extra great if you could go and give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That's very important. I know I always say this, but... It never becomes any less important. Still important. You know what else you could do that would be cool is if you have any friends who like books or pop culture or feminism or all of the above, hopefully, uh, let them know that we exist. Mm -hmm. Tell them to listen to us. Send an episode that you think they would enjoy. We would really appreciate it. Maybe this one. Yes. Perhaps this one. But if not Um, this one, another one. Yeah. And as always, thank you for listening and uh, keep listening. Thank you for hosting today, Kelly. What a great job. It was great. Oh, thanks. And we miss you, Susan. We do miss you, Susan. And we'll see you next time. And congratulations. Yay. On being wed. (laughs) We love you, P. Yes. We love you, P. Sweet little P. Do you want to say video, P? Yes. Play us out, P. Aww. Ha <laughs> ha.